SpongeBob, hey, come on. Let's go throw in this pie-shaped bath bomb in on Squidward as he's taking a bath. Pull a prank on him. Squidward's such a jerk. Don't they know I'm busy spoiling myself? <laughs> What do you mean? You drove him away. Ahoy, mateys, and welcome aboard to the most porous podcast you'll find along the tubes of the internet. I'm ready. A SpongePod Squarecast. I'm your captain, Captain Eric, and welcome to 137, episode 137 of the Squarecast. Have you seen this snail? And let me tell you, the last few weeks have been the calm before the storm. If you work in retail in any aspect, it uh, it certainly is the, the prepping before the holiday season. Now, of course, depending on where you work in the retail sector, October can be an exciting time or... Not so exciting with the amount of Halloween shenanigans coming through your doors, but I I embrace that stuff. I love the Halloween season. October is my favorite month, beyond it being my birthday month, and we'll uh, we'll get to that later in the month. But uh, uh, this is an exciting time. But man, let me tell you, certain episodes like this really, really go deep under the skin and get right to your heart and tug at those heartstrings like stew is at his guitar playing Gary Come Home. I think a key word in regards to the longevity of SpongeBob and just how beloved the character is by his fan base, even those of us daring enough to make a podcast about him, is relatability. Think of how much you have related to SpongeBob over your life. Maybe when you were younger, you may have related to some of the troubles he went through, like the procrastination on homework or going to school in general, dealing with bullies, doing a bunch of geeky stuff with your best friends, hanging out on Saturdays, board games, camping, karate, whatever you can think of, juggling work and school life as you got older. SpongeBob pretty much was always there to be relatable even when you started driving. If you're a fan of SpongeBob, you can't tell me that the second you went to driving school, you didn't really think of Mrs. Puffs at any point in time or think about any of the troubles SpongeBob went through or maybe you thought about keeping a, an AirPod in your ear and having somebody feed you all the driving instructions, just like in the uh, in the episode with Patrick. Pat the sponge. Testing. Testing. Testing, 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 testing. Testing! Ah! And even beyond the examples I gave, you can certainly find other episodes throughout the show that have relatable moments for you personally. And even when you get older, when you reach peak adulthood, you start looking at Squidward in a completely different way. Squidward becomes relatable. And it's not that every aspect of your life has to be attached to Squidward. You don't have to be an artist to have some sort of relation to what Squidward goes through. It could just be general dissatisfaction of your job. It could be a neighbor or a coworker that you just find incredibly annoying and you keep that to yourself or if you are an artist out there of any kind, doesn't have to be necessarily paint, could be music, you could be making podcasts out there. To me, that would be a form of art. You're creating something, you're making something. Music, painting, podcasts, if you're a live streamer, if you're trying something at a craft and you're working hard towards it and you don't feel like you're getting the satisfaction of the, the viewership or, or whatever you're looking for, you can find some sort of relation to what Squidward struggles with. He himself is someone constantly trying to move forward in his craft, in life, wanting to, of course, gain success. He wants that end result of fame and fortune and being wealthy and, and being well-renowned for his art, but, you know, he is trying hard towards that. It's just getting that lucky break. It's that lucky part, that luck that we're all striving for. That is relatable. 
And I bring up all of this talk about relatability because this episode, at its core, is is one episode that has to be the most relatable from person to person. How many people out there have owned a pet, loved a pet, and then one day that pet was no longer with you? That general feeling of loss of a loved part of your family can be shared from person to person and of course, there are varying degrees of how that loss occurs, but certainly, we all, at least who have owned a pet and loved a pet, can bring up those emotions of that experience and how it felt to have another best friend in your life, another fur baby, as some people call it, but just however you had that animal a part of your life, and and certainly there there's always going to be a last moment with them, and however that occurs can be a wide variety of emotions, but before we enter that door of the wide variety, that general waiting room of of emotion, we're all there. We've all felt that. I may have never lost an animal like SpongeBob did in this episode, where my animal just completely left home. I certainly know of friends and family members who have had that happen to and have seen firsthand what kind of emotions that can bring and and the stress that that can have. I do have one story associated with a day or so of losing a pet, and we'll talk about Trouble the Cat later, and and she came with that name, and other than this one experience, doesn't really have any reason to be called Trouble, but uh, we'll get to that later on in the episode. But I do have two animals uh, who more or less were taken away from me without much that I could do. When I was younger, I had a rabbit that both my mom and I adored, but at some point she felt that uh, we just were unable to take care of him to his fullest extent and ended up giving him up for adoption to another family. Daffy the Rabbit would go on to live in a very exciting life with his new family, would even become fully potty trained in the house, had his own litter box, which for those of you out there with rabbits, let me tell you, they're, they're very easy to potty train. I have Jake the Rabbit here myself, a dwarf rabbit, Fully potty trained, has his own little litter box, and that's where he goes and does all his business. So kudos to him. Uh, Daffy was absolutely incredible. Fun rabbit to have, but uh, I didn't see it from my mom's perspective at that time. So I, of course, was very hurt by that for a while. But then I grew up and was able to see things from my mom's perspective and, and just the life of taking care of a pet. Completely different outlook on that one. As for my dog, Finn, unfortunately through a breakup, he had to be with someone else. And I will tell you, mateys, the pain of that still tugs at these heartstrings pretty hard. As I'm sure many of you out there listening to this know, who have had the love of an animal, who no longer have that animal with them, that love never goes away. And along with that relatability, that love, even though as you might go on in your life, the pain of that loss may get easier to hold on to over time, which, if you think about it, if you go to the gym and you just use one weight size and you're just working out with that one weight, eventually your muscles are going to grow to the point that that weight is not going to feel as strenuous. And it's the same thing with some of that mental weight that we carry over time, even though that that pain will never really go away. It's just we're getting easier at holding on to it. But in that same regard, the love that we have for these animals, for our pets, for our loved ones, that never goes away. That flame of love continues to burn on and on and will never be extinguished. You'll always have that love. Fire in the hole! Have You Seen This Snail is the 63rd episode of SpongeBob SquarePants, and it first premiered on November 11th, 2005. Our storyboard director is Aaron Springer, who also wrote this alongside our supervising producer, Paul Tibbet. Oh, yeah. Normally, I usually bring up a second half or first half, but this is a two-part episode. This is a SpongeBob SquarePants special, and like with every other SpongeBob special up to this point, we have an involvement of Patchy the Pirate hosting the show in some regard, although this Patchy is not a live-action Patchy. If you have watched this episode on the first 100 episodes DVD set, 
or ironically on the Where's Gary DVD itself. I believe this whole introduction with Patchy is completely cut out. But uh, it's not even really an introduction. It's just for you as the viewer, if you have been paying attention up to this point in SpongeBob, anytime you see Patchy the Pirate on the screen, it designates an extra special episode of SpongeBob. Now, they could have easily had a side story of Patchy losing Potty and going out finding him, but to the emotion of the actual episode at hand, it certainly would have detracted from it a little bit. Patchy is there for just comedy. And, you know, I, I like how in this episode he was there as an alert. Hey, you're going to watch an extra special version of SpongeBob SquarePants, and we don't have to film any live-action segments, but just the sight of Patchy is is a nice little not enough that you're in for a good time. Don't threaten me with a good time! Now, as is the case with most SpongeBob SquarePants half-hour specials, the actual episode at hand is a different title than whatever Nickelodeon wants to promote the episode as. In this case, the episode Have You Seen This Snail was promoted as Where's Gary? Nickelodeon put together an entire campaign about Gary going missing around this one episode, and if you happen to be watching Cartoon Network at the time of this promotion, they had a little fun with this, as once in a while throughout the promotion, a little snail would slide its way onto the screen on Cartoon Network as a little indication that Gary has made his way over to the competition. Outside of North America, I don't know how prevalent the whole Nickelodeon versus Cartoon Network era is. I know that some of these shows on both of the networks air on completely different channels internationally, but as far as within the United States, Nickelodeon versus Cartoon Network was a rivalry that was up there alongside some of the greats like Mario versus Sonic, the Red Sox versus the Yankees. This was two of the juggernauts of children's entertainment always colliding head-to-head. -head. And hey, if you were a fan of both networks, growing up in the 90s and in the 2000s was an absolutely golden time. And it was really fun to see when the networks would take these little moments at one another. Although it was mostly Cartoon Network taking these opportunities at Nickelodeon. But either way, I am, I'm glad it happened nonetheless. As the episode opens, SpongeBob is bringing home Gary's food, a massive bag of snail food, which it seems like for the amount that we have seen in the past SpongeBob feed Gary, it, it's like not enough. That's like a day's worth of food you're bringing home in this one, this one massive bag. Uh, the distractions of Patrick are not enough to deter SpongeBob from his mission of getting this food home and, and feeding Gary, or at least you know, getting it home so that he could feed Gary at some point later in the day. Patrick tries to stop him with whatever he has to tell SpongeBob, but he pulls a Batman on Patrick and leaves the conversation right when Patrick turns and comes back to not see SpongeBob there and completely forgets who he was even talking to in the first place. Why does this keep happening to me? As SpongeBob comes back to his pineapple, he notices a note from the United Delivery Company that they tried delivering a package at some point in the day as he was out, but unfortunately they missed him and will re-deliver the package at their earliest convenience. As SpongeBob is reading this note, though, he leaves the snail food outside on his front door area. It's not really a stoop. But he leaves the snail food right outside and is completely fixated on this note and its contents. Right as he finishes the note, though, surprisingly, the United Delivery Company knocks on his door and leaves the package right on the snail food. I have no idea why they didn't just leave the package beforehand. It's it's not like they had confirmation that SpongeBob was home. I mean, yes, the snail food was outside, but that could have been delivered as well. So they just left the delivery. Maybe that was the thought process the second time. Well, I'm not going to come back a third time. He already has something outside here waiting for him. I'm just going to leave the package as is. Or maybe they just knew they saw him going in the pineapple. Whatever way, they left the package right on the uh, the snail food. And SpongeBob is fixated 100% on this package. A delivery 
of a Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy branded paddle ball, an official paddle ball that is brought to you by Nickelodeon Incorporated. To me, one of the biggest moments of this episode is not even the fact that Gary goes missing, but it's the show's little subtle jab at Nickelodeon here and their possible over-merchandising of SpongeBob at this time. This episode was produced in 2004, so right as SpongeBob fever was at its height with the movie coming out and SpongeBob just exploded to literally every product that you can think of. So even though when you go back to the Mermelair and you look at their weapons, a paddle ball is among the weaponry of Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy. So in some regard as a collectible or in some aspect of their show, a paddle ball does make sense. So it's not like the overly silly kind of merchandise that you can see with some licensed characters on it. But I still think though at its, at its core, this has to be a nice little jab. The fact that Nickelodeon has their name right on this paddle ball box, and it's all, this is the Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy paddle ball, but outside of the box, there really isn't anything that has to do with Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy. It isn't even colored for the characters. So I I love this just little aspect of it, because I have to imagine, I have to imagine that those behind the scenes working at SpongeBob have had to have seen some merchandise come across their desks that made them shake their heads, that made them go, what are you trying to slap this sponge on to sell? I mean, at this point, what haven't they slapped that sponge on to sell? But wait, there's more. I just also love the implications that in world, Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy as a show is possibly on Nickelodeon within SpongeBob SquarePants' world. Nickelodeon could be a channel on the television. I mean, he, you know, it's not like his show is running on that network, but he could be watching that network on his television. Nickelodeon! Inside of this paddle ball set includes your standard paddle ball, but also a challenge by one of Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy's most formidable villains, the Dirty Bubble, who apparently is a paddle ball champion. And his challenge is for you to hit the paddle ball more than 29,998,559,671,349 times. Wow, that's incredible. And I guess when you're a dirty bubble, there really isn't much for you to do and hitting a paddle ball could be a way to pass time and if you're really that good at it sure go for the record what we end up finding out in this episode at some point is that Patrick himself was able to beat this record and was even awarded the trophy for beating the dirty bubble challenge but unfortunately he lost the trophy that is an incredible piece of information or lore for Patrick Starr. I don't know if you really think about this, but even if somebody were to hit a paddle ball a thousand times, I don't know how quick that would be, but to me, a thousand times would still be pretty incredible. They could have made the Dirty Bubbles Challenge a billion times, and that would still be what, like an astronomical number. They, they went all the way to 29 trillion. Eventually, at some point, we're going to have to call that the Dirty Bezos Challenge. As SpongeBob has taken upon himself to defeat the Dirty Bubble and his paddle ball challenge, Gary's internal clock tells him that it's dinner time. And I got to tell you, animals are incredible with their internal clocks. They literally, and I've seen videos out there, plentiful on YouTube of animals who just have this innate ability to know to the minute when it's dinner time. They just know exactly Gary is no different in this regard and goes right to his dinner bowl where it is empty. And he finds himself in the kitchen looking around like, hey, what's going on? What's SpongeBob doing? SpongeBob is busy using his paddle ball, which he's not good at. 
and is only able to get like a hit or two with the paddle ball before it just falls and, and he keeps messing up. Gary comes over to him and tries to remind him that it's dinner time, but SpongeBob just pushes him away. Hey, I'm doing something. I'm busy. Let me be. He's hyper-focused on this paddle ball. And Gary, of course, wants to eat. He's hungry. But in this moment, he decides, this is it. I'm leaving this house. I'm getting out of here, and I'm going to find a new owner. He does write a note at some point. It's implied in this part because he leaves it in SpongeBob's mailbox for him to, to find later on. But this one little instance is enough for Gary to leave home. It's it's bonkers to me. Now, I know later on in the episode we may find more justification to this, but that's later on. This is right now in this moment. SpongeBob may have missed dinner by a couple of minutes, and Gary just flat out gives up. He just leaves Conch Street. He doesn't try to, to get SpongeBob's attention even more so, throw his bowl at him. He doesn't see the food sitting at the front door. He doesn't try to go to Squidward's house or Patrick's. He just ups and goes to wherever. He doesn't even have a plan as to where he's going. We see this snail leave the pineapple, travel over hills, travel on a creek, on a raft. He's on a bus. We're not told where he's going, and then eventually we're seeing that he's just traveling downtown Bikini Bottom looking for food, he's he's hungry, he's starving. What was his plan? I used to think Gary was incredibly intelligent until this episode. This really took that moment in the dream episode where you got to see Gary, in, you know, internally and, and to see his brain and how it's perceived of that really high intelligent nature. And we've seen Gary do incredible things in the past. And here he is just making a really harsh and terrible judgment call on this situation. We eventually find out that SpongeBob was trying that paddleball challenge for 10 days or so. And when you find out that information, hey, look, not being fed for one meal is one thing. Not being fed for 10 days, yeah, get out of there. But it's not like Gary was there for the 10 days constantly trying to get SpongeBob to stop he literally let SpongeBob rot in his room with this paddle ball until Patrick just comes along and, and saves the day. Gets SpongeBob out of this funk with the paddle ball. Gets him back into the swing of things. Ten days is a long time. I'm surprised Mr. Krabs didn't come knocking. Unless he, he was on a scheduled vacation or something. No. Which I highly doubt. But here we are. And it's through this interaction with Patrick that SpongeBob finally realizes, oh wait, I have to feed Gary. He's going back to that internal thought process of what he has to do. He gets Gary's food. It's dusty. He puts it in Gary's bowl, and Gary isn't anywhere to be found. He looks everywhere in the pineapple, and SpongeBob just can't find Gary. He's not coming to the sound of the of the food shaking, the treats. And uh, one thing I do have to mention about SpongeBob's decor is I love his idea of hanging the salt and pepper shakers from the ceiling. I don't know if that's a thing to keep the salt away from Gary, the snail, because he might be able to crawl up on the table and get into the salt. I don't know if that's a thought process behind it, but it's a part of his decor that I, uh, I, I like to point out. But he's looking everywhere for the snail and can't find him. And as we check back in on Gary at this moment in time, he is just in the open wilderness with no direction in sight, but does eventually make his way to downtown Bikini Bottom, in this really seedy part of town, finds himself down a really just creepy-looking alley. But in the middle of this alley, a pristine sight sets itself right in front of Gary, a container of nachos with cheese. <laughs> nachos! And there's still a few nachos, there's still a lot of cheese in the container, and it feels too good to be true. But as Gary approaches the nachos... Out come a few other snails from the shadows. Some creepy-looking snails who definitely come off as intimidating, but Gary probably should have just stayed for a second to see what they had to say because, hey, they just saw this snail show up who may have liked nachos, another friend for them, and he ran away. That guy doesn't like nachos. What a weirdo. You're a loser! Gary should have stayed in that alley with those other snails because running away from them led him straight to Granny. 
one of the best one-off antagonists in SpongeBob history, and she's not even really your standard antagonist. We'll get into it as we go on, but Granny is a very loving character voiced beautifully by Amy Poehler, who is best known for her work on Nickelodeon as Bessie Higginbottom on The Mighty Bee for both behind the scenes and for voicing the character as well. But Amy Poehler just brings so much comedic energy to this character. Now, Granny sees Gary and thinks that he's a different snail of hers, another snail known as Miss Tufsey. And throughout this entire episode, continually calls Gary Miss Tufsey to such a funny degree. I love some of the little one-off things she says to her pet, and she clearly has a loving relationship with every snail of hers. She brings Gary home and feeds him and treats him unlike he has ever been treated before. He is a king in this world, or for Granny, a queen, her little Miss Tufsey. She has Gary on a, on a really comfy-looking chair, a heated blanket over him. He's getting fed cookies, all this food. He's in the lap of luxury. And on the other side of things, SpongeBob is just losing it. As mentioned earlier, Gary had written SpongeBob a note and left it in his mailbox on which SpongeBob would eventually uncover this note. And even though when we get to look at the actual note itself, it has just random looking drawings and markings on it. However, Gary could, you know, write out his language. SpongeBob and Patrick are both able to read and understand this note. So for us as the viewer, it looks like gibberish, but to these characters, this is snail writing. This is Gary writing SpongeBob a note, letting him know how disappointed he is that SpongeBob doesn't feed him. And it's just this overly dramatic letter, which by the way, I know that we are 10 days in to SpongeBob finally realizing that Gary is gone. I get that. But you got to remember, Gary wrote this note because he wasn't fed within 10 minutes or so. And I'm I'm giving him 10 minutes as like worst case scenario. He wasn't fed within 10 minutes and decided he was going to leave home. I know at this point in the episode when you have realized that it's been a long time since SpongeBob has started his paddleball regimen and since he was supposed to feed Gary. But Gary is a really dramatic king in this entire situation. He wasn't fed, left home, and is now in a home where he is getting fed pretty much nonstop of all kinds of foods, going from cookies to deviled eggs to meatloaf. This is truly the total opposite of what Gary was going through in, in that small amount of time that he had to wait for SpongeBob and his paddle balling. This is the, the exact opposite of that. He went from starving to being fed nonstop. It's almost like his dreams are coming true. SpongeBob tries to go to work, and even though Mr. Krabs and him have a really good relationship, Mr. Krabs is not picking up on any of the distress that SpongeBob is going through, even when he mentions that Gary ran away from home and that he's going through a rough time, Mr. Krabs just wants him to get back to work. That's the bottom line. And it does hit home because there have been supervisors in my past, and I'm sure some of you out there, managers, bosses, supervisors, who even when it comes to a pet might not have that same emotional connection and therefore don't really understand when you show up to them and say, hey, I have something important that happened. I might need an extra day off or two. And they certainly don't see it the same way. They see it as, yeah, well, working would be the best thing for you to do right now to get your mind off of things. Put it on work. That is true. That is absolutely true that if you are going through something, in some cases, putting your mind to work, and it doesn't necessarily have to be working for a company, but putting your mind to work in some aspect would help put your mind at ease in some regard. So Mr. Krabs isn't really wrong here in this situation. I just think he should know SpongeBob's connection with Gary a little bit more, see the seriousness of it, and maybe even help out. And ironically, he does in a way by trying to push SpongeBob to get back to fry cooking. 
but through his speech, he is able to get the message to SpongeBob that it's hard work that's going to help his situation out. And it is. Instead of just looking around the house and then crawling over to work, SpongeBob needs to hit the ground running and, and put in some effort to let Gary know, wherever he may be, that he's not only sorry, but it's time for Gary to come home. As of course, a live rendition of the classic SpongeBob song, Gary Come Home, sung by Tony Award-winning singer-songwriter Stu, who, beyond his work a part of bands, is also known for his solo work, where he was able to obtain awards from the likes of Entertainment Weekly, scoring their best album of the year in 2000 with guest host, followed by 2002's The Naked Dutch Painter, and other songs. He also obtained a Tony Award, which is the awards given out for uh, Broadway productions for Best Book for the musical Passing Strange. And let me just tell you, and this is from Stu himself, Gary Come Home may be his most emotional song, his most sensual song, and it really is. Not only for what I've heard from Stu himself, I've gone down a bit of his other works, and let me tell you, I would love to see this man perform live. It is an absolute incredible experience from the looks and sound of it. But to hear Gary come home live would be an experience. I don't, I don't know how you could have a dry eye in the room with a song being belted out like that, regardless on its origin being about a pet snail, which Stu describes on stage how it comes to be that, that he wrote the song. He was called in 2004 by a friend of his to write a song about a pet snail running away from home and the pain you can feel of a pet leaving home, your best friend. Now, Stu puts this out there when he's performing it live that, you know, the song is about a pet snail but I think he's missing the bigger picture that that song and some of its lyrics can really connect to any pet that anyone has. And maybe he understands that, but the way he presented it live on stage of like, oh, this song being about a pet snail. And I'm like, man, when you have lyrics like, now my heart is beating like the saddest metronome, somewhere I hope you're reading my latest three-word poem, I, I don't know. It can reach out to anybody, and honestly, that song is so good that you don't even need to know that Gary is a snail when you also have lyrics like, More than a pet, you're my best friend. Too cool to forget, come back, because we are family, and forgive me for making you want to roam. And, yeah, I already said the next part. But let me just tell you, it is my favorite SpongeBob SquarePants song associated with the show in, in terms of overall emotion that it can bring sweet victory of course is a fantastic monumental victorious happiness kind of song but when it comes to a song that really takes a mike tyson level gut punch right to your heart gary come home gary song this is it this is my favorite uh, it's one that can bring me to tears if I'm really thinking about certain pets of my past. And uh, and I, I love the song in general. It's not like I'm looking to be sad. It's a beautiful song in every aspect. Uh, trying to reach out to a pet like that and, and just bleeding your heart out, regardless on if that pet being a snail, it, it's a beautiful thing. And I, I hope Stu... Here's my my kind words. I hope I'm able to to thank him for the art that he was able to to put out there because that is just one of the most beautiful songs in general. I'm not even talking about television, cartoons, entertainment. I'm talking about emotionally driven songs 
it, it's up there with some of the best. Would I say it's top 10 in my life? Yeah, absolutely. Would I say that in an objective sense? No, but I would definitely fight tooth and nail that it's in the top 50 of all time, of all songs. Don't come at me with like Rock Lobster or anything else being like, oh, this is more emotional than get. No, get out of here with that. I don't even know why I thought about Rock Lobster, but I was like, what song could somebody try to come up with me and argue that it's it's an emotional ride? It is an emotional ride, all right? Rock Lobster is in the top 50, but Gary's song is 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 higher than that. Hey, Rock Lobster! At this point in the story, I do think it's appropriate for me to give you the quick tale of Trouble the Cat and the story of what happened in the 12 or so hours that I thought an animal just ran away from my home and was never to be seen again. Uh, so this story does start out with a, a sad part to it. Now, my mom has always loved having pets. And even though at one point in time we were unable to take care of a rabbit, as soon as she was able to care for pets, we were opening up the doors to dogs, cats, and then whatever I was having in my room, a guinea pig or, or whatnot. So at some point we had Chowder the dog, and yes, he was, at least from my end, named after the cartoon character Chowder. And nothing can go wrong. Oh no, it all went wrong. When I saw his picture in this text message and was asked for possible names of this dog, I just started sending texts of every name I could think of. And I was going down possible, you know, Cartoon Network names after possible Nickelodeon ones. And it's not calling the dog Danny Phantom or being so on the nose. It has to be subtle. It has to be a good dog name on its own. And then also that secondary meaning is, is kind of fun there. And of course, for those listening, yeah, that's that's where Finn and Jake eventually came from. But uh, it's, it's not all Cartoon Network. I don't know how that worked out, but it, it didn't really mean to be so. And also, to be fair, Finn, I also connected to the wrestler Finn Balor, and at the time, and the reason that I even came up with that name is I had just seen Star Wars The Force Awakens like a day or two earlier. So Finn was just a name that was in my head that I blurted out. So it wasn't even to just continually pull from Cartoon Network, but that's that's how it's happened. And to be honest, since we're talking about this, since I had Finn the dog, Jake the rabbit, I once had a fish tank with a bunch of uh, little small catfish that just clean up the bottom of your tank and a beta. And eventually I had Princess Bubblegum, I had Marceline, and I had Bimo. So I was building an entire Adventure Time slew of pets, but I think it stopped with that one. So we, we just have Jake at this moment in time, and, uh, and, and we're going to keep it that way. But anyway, we had Chowder the dog, we had Guinness the cat, because really uh, really up on our Irish heritage here. And at some point, my stepfather had got my mom a kitten named Mia. And my mom loves kittens. Now, she has no problem adopting cats, but if there's a way to get a kitten in the house, that's when she's at her happiest. Mia, unfortunately, fell a short life unexpectedly due to a piece of furniture being moved and it was completely unexpected and was a shock to all of those who who heard it and especially to my mom who was just so distraught of losing a baby that to fill that void they went and adopted a cat instead of going the kitten route they went the adoption route in which they found trouble the cat who is one of the most affectionate animals I have ever encountered in my life. Trouble from the get-go just wants your love. Came from a household that had like 30 or so cats, didn't really get attention, and just can't get enough of it. Such a loving cat. But after Trouble was brought home, during its first night in the house, Trouble got away from my brother's room, my younger brother, who was, of course, really upset with, with Mia's passing, but immediately fell in love with Trouble. And Trouble got away from my brother's room, got down to the basement, and somehow got 
in between the furnished part of the basement, the wood, and the concrete part of the house. An area that I obviously knew existed because there was, you know, this wood part of the basement and then there were these concreted parts and I obviously was able to step back and know, yeah, this part is built on. But I had never thought of the space between the two areas. And after that first night, Trouble got in there. So when everyone wakes up the next morning, Trouble is nowhere to be found. And for a half hour or so, I am helping my mom, my brother. We are looking everywhere around the house for this cat. We all have to go to school, work, all our separate ways. All day I'm thinking about, oh my goodness, this cat got outside because the night before, while the cat was upstairs in my brother's room, I was swapping out couches. I had the back door open. Is it possible that that cat got outside? It had to have been. So throughout the day, I'm looking up, you know, the various things that cats do when they leave a household. They don't really go too far for, you know, the first 24, 48 hours. So, hey, there's at least a range around the house that I could I could look around. So I'm outside the second I get home at like 6 or 7 p.m., carefully looking around neighbors' backyards, seeing if I can find this cat. And, and just feeling distraught at like 11 p.m. or 12 a.m., like late that night, I am at my computer and my stepfather is at the top of the, the, the back stairs because I'm, I'm in the basement and uh, I can hear meowing. Like I can hear a meow every every like 30 seconds or so and it's very subtle and I have to shut the music off that I'm playing and, and try to listen to it. And then it doesn't happen. And I put the music back on. And then I think I hear a meow. And I'm like, I know we had a kitten pass away in this house. Are we now being haunted by a ghost? And I have my stepfather come downstairs. I'm like, can you come down here? I think I'm hearing this meowing. And eventually I find where there's, you know, the entrance to this alcove. And I'm taking pictures using my flash camera. And if you're listening to this, on YouTube, I'm going to put the pictures that I still have of finding this cat in there. And you can see its eyes just shine off of the flash. And this cat is deep into the wall. And there is no way to get to the cat. So I have my cousin come over, literally within a half hour. And we cut a hole into the wall that was close enough where we were able to pull trouble out of the wall. And then, you know, cover it back up. Trouble would, the next morning, make its way back to the wall, but after that second pullout, would never step foot in that space again and has been a loving part of the household ever since. I don't, of course, live there anymore, so I don't know what kind of trouble Trouble is getting into, but hey, anytime I show up, Trouble always wants some loving attention, and that night for me is is not going to leave my memory anytime soon. But that entire day for me, was thinking about this episode, essentially. Like, wow, did an animal really leave the house and, and is now lost? I thought about the idea of eventually putting up flyers, but we, we had this cat for less than a day. I know we had pictures on some phones, so we, we had some recent photos of this cat, and I know that this has certainly happened to people where a recent animal that you've, you've gotten has escaped or run away or something, but... uh. Yeah, it was certainly an experience and, and made me think of this episode through and through. And of course, Gary come home. Of course, I didn't really have the same emotional attachment to trouble where I was going to cry at thinking of this, thinking of trouble. I had only known the cat for maybe 15 minutes for the amount of time that I was around it. But still, certainly in my thoughts. And it's during the montage of Gary come home that we see SpongeBob and Patrick putting up flyers all over town putting up billboards. We we have sequences of SpongeBob. Some of the most beautifully depressing moments of looking at SpongeBob is him just sitting alone crying in his house. And the the art direction of these moments are just so well done. It's it's beautiful. The whole sequence is just one of my favorite moments in SpongeBob. And uh we we also see that SpongeBob and Patrick through their their interactions throughout town, have consistently missed Gary hanging out with his new friend Granny uh, throughout town, getting their hair done, 
buying some arts and crafts at a brand new location in Bikini Bottom, a new location that I would probably find myself into once in a while, Martha's Craft Zone. Within Martha's Craft Zone, there is an interaction between Patrick and Gary where they're trying to buy scented pine cones, and I don't know if any of you have been turned on to scented pine cones because of this episode, but they are a welcomed addition to my home during every holiday season. And I will make sure to get my hands on some scented pine cones before any elderly woman out there tries to, to buy the last of them. I, I will make sure of it. I will do parkour unlike which has never been seen to make sure that I get my hands on those pine cones. I'm not going to be uh, the, the doofus who walks out of a craft store without scented pine cones in the holiday season. No thank you. No way. No way. Now let's talk about Granny for a second. Let's take a moment and look at our surroundings within Granny's house. Now while Gary may be a bit more comfortable than he is in SpongeBob's home, because let's face it, beyond even what he's given in her living room, Granny has an entire bedroom devoted to her pets, which... At one point, she had a ton of. Gary looks at some of the portraits in the house, which, by the way, it's weird that she has, like, above-land drawings or paintings in her house. That seems a bit off-putting, but she has this one picture of her surrounded by 20 other snails or so. And it should be an indication to Gary that something is off. You know, like, where are all these snails? Maybe at one point, yes, she had more, and then she just has Miss Tufsey. But it just seems a bit weird where she is accustomed to multiple snails, but now she's only dealing with one at a time. It, it just feels off. But Gary moves along with it because she is feeding him some of the best food ever. He doesn't have to worry about missing a meal and, oh my goodness, having to go an extra few minutes before just up and leaving your, your home. But uh, Miss Tufsey here is, like I said earlier, living in the lap of luxury but what we end up finding out is as Gary is fed more and more and more, once they come home from this adventure out in the town, we see Gary gain on a bit of girth onto him. He's looking a little bit heavier. And as he goes over to the, to the pile of newspapers in the corner to use the bathroom, Granny drops a whole fresh stack of papers for him to use the bathroom on, a stack of flyers that some heavy-set kid gave to her in town. I don't know if that was just Patrick dumping off a bunch of flyers to Granny, like, here you go, and then just running away. Instead of just giving her one, he gave her the entire stack. That, to me, is really hilarious if you're able to put two and two together there of just Patrick and his mentality. But Gary is now able to see an entire layout of all of the different flyers that SpongeBob made. Let's make something clear here. SpongeBob didn't just make one flyer and copy that flyer and then just make copies upon copies and then post that same thing everywhere. Every single flyer has a different drawing from SpongeBob, a different sentiment for Gary to come home. They are all homemade. The level of effort that SpongeBob is doing here would make Billy Madison stand up and cheer for him. You get off of your buns and you find that snail. Goo! And it works because the second Gary sees those messages, he is able to use his imagination to physically see SpongeBob apologizing, and he loves that. Now, one thing to mention about Gary throughout this episode, I noticed it really doesn't seem to matter how his life is outside of being fed. You would think that his life is so good with SpongeBob that, you know, this one instance would would be not anything worth leaving it for. But Gary just ups and leaves. He just goes. And here in this episode, there's one moment that he's being fed popcorn by Granny, and it just clicked that it must not matter for Gary what's going on outside of the fact that he is being fed. If there's food in his mouth, that is when he is at his happiest. Let's think back all the way to a previous episode where Gary was more interested in hanging out with Patrick for an extended period of time simply due to the fact that Patrick had a single cookie in his pocket. That was it. 
Gary wanted to just be around Patrick. He wanted that cookie, and that was his only concern in that moment in time. It was not about SpongeBob and his feelings. It was just about that cookie. Gary is a glutton and only cares about food, and the monkey's paw of his wish is he has found himself in a house where there is food constantly at his disposal. And as he is about to to leave the house to go back home to SpongeBob, he discovers the ugly truth of the situation. He opens a door in the hopes that it's probably an exit out of the house to discover a closet that is filled to the brim with empty snail shells, broken empty snail shells, and Gary slowly realizing that he is being fed to death. This woman is overfeeding her animals to the point of no return. And in this moment, Gary knows he has to escape. And it is a run for it right out of the door, straight back into downtown Bikini Bottom, where he is confronted again by one of the snails who realized, hey, you're the guy who doesn't like nachos, and ends up swapping places with this snail who Granny immediately believes is Miss Tufsy, and ends up taking this completely innocent snail to which Gary assumes that this guy is some sort of uh, problem or whatnot. And in this instance, he might be. I mean, he did approach him very aggressively like, hey, you're the guy who doesn't like nachos. I would feel like somebody was coming at me aggressively with that. But you know what? Let's just let's just be real here. If Gary can escape this this elderly woman, any snail could if they have the will to. So maybe this guy finds himself in a new life, in a new experience, off the streets, not having to eat nachos off the ground. He's being fed as many, you know, goodies as Granny is going to make him. Which, I love this whole thing of just grandmothers in the SpongeBob universe constantly making food, having that similar aspect to possibly some other grandmothers out there. And also just aspects of her house, so much like a grandmother. She even has a little cabinet with a collection of tiny spoons including a little appearance by Bill Cipher. It seems like Granny is a Gravity Falls fan, and that is something that I approve of. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a nice little ending for Granny here. She gets to keep Mrs. Tufsey. And it's, uh, it's really funny that uh, the snail in question that gets swapped with Gary here looks nothing like Gary. And Gary, from the picture of all the snails that we saw in her house, looks strikingly like what apparently the most standard snail is in in the undersea world because even on a, a snail po truck that we saw earlier in the episode that SpongeBob mistakenly thought was Gary in a window, they they have like one standard kind of snail and then they all kind of go off of that in different variations and Gary himself just happens to look the most standard. So he switches places with this other snail who looks nothing like him, but Granny still assumes it's Mrs. Tufsey and takes him away. And Gary is then able to get himself back home to SpongeBob as he is talking to himself, crying at a billboard, and is imagining, you know, oh, I hear Gary meowing. He's pouring his heart out one last time. And Gary is able to hear some of this sentiment. And we have a really nice ending at the end of this episode with SpongeBob taking full ownership over the fact that He messed up with Gary and that he's going to be responsible for that and not let it happen again. And of course, I would really like Gary to acknowledge that it's a bit dramatic to just up and get on a bus and leave your house if, you know, five or so minutes go by and you're not fed. Even if you know, hey, I know if I don't talk to my owner, he is going to keep doing this same little thing he's doing for 10 days. I I don't think that's enough to just up and leave home. So Gary, though, escaped near death, and hopefully that was enough of an experience for him to appreciate being with SpongeBob, and and if dinner is a little bit late, it's it's not enough to just run away. I hope there's that aspect in the long run here, and I hope that Patrick gets his hands on some scented pine cones. It's really rough that that uh that that granny bought all of them because I I see what this lady is doing now for the longest time 
as far as what this lady is doing, I assumed as a kid that she was fattening up these snails to eat them. Because unfortunately on land, uh, there are those out there, mainly in France, who eat snails on the regular. And, uh, and yeah, although I, I have tried a bit of snail when I was in Paris. <gasps> it was more of like a, you're here right now, you should probably do this thing. It was not one of the snails right out of the shell kind of deals. And I saw people there doing that. It was disgusting to see, but I had that thought in my head when I was like, why does she have all of these shells? Why is she holding on to them? Oh, she's she's fattening these snails up to eat. And that's why when Gary looks over at the picture before he runs out of the house, all of the snails yell at him. Run! And I think it's reasonable to come to that conclusion. But to be fair, factually, in the story, there is nothing to elude that this elderly woman eats her snails. It, it is something that was brought up and was intended, even though it's a bit dark, but there is nothing to say that this elderly woman was eating the snails. But it is a, a thing that has been in the back of my head ever since I watched this episode. <laughs> if you have ever lost an animal in this fashion where an animal just, just left your home and was never able to be seen again, my heart bleeds for you. My heart is out there for you if you have ever lost an animal in any regard and you carry that pain with you on a day-to-day -day basis, let me tell you, you are not alone in that situation. We are relatable with that emotion and just, just keep that with you. You're not alone. It, it might seem that way because people don't know what you've been through, but you know what you've been through and I might not, but I have my own experiences and are able to realize that others out there have gone through very similar feelings, emotions. And to that, I hope that is where we find a little bit of relatability between us. And if you have a best friend out there, even if it's your pet, if you have a pal, a homeboy, a rotten soldier, a sweet cheese, a good time boy, let them know what they mean to you. Give them a hug. Give them a call. Don't hide those emotions. Don't ever let it be too late. And with that, mateys, that's going to be our time aboard on this week's episode of The Squarecast. Thank you for all of you who are listening. If you're listening to this podcast at this point and you're hearing my voice, please share this out on Twitter. Please tag me in it. Let me know where you're sharing it. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Let people know that Captain Eric exists. Bring more mateys to the ship they're all appreciated. You can reach Captain Eric at Sponge Pod Podcast. That's S P O N G E P O D P O D C A S T at gmail.com. You see? Woohoo! Oh, yeah! Totally off the cuff, and I'm not going to remember how to do that again. You can also follow me on Twitter at I'm Ready Podcast and on Instagram at SpongeBob Podcast. Please check out my Twitch channels, twitch.tv slash SpongeBob Podcast and twitch.tv slash Captain Eric or The Captain Eric. Both of those are in the podcast description below along with the Captain Eric YouTube channel, which please, the best way you can support Captain Eric is going to that YouTube channel and hitting that subscribe button. It's really appreciated. And I upload a lot more than just my podcasts up there on the YouTube channel. Uh, so please stay tuned for more video content coming. And by the way, if you're listening to this, go check out the video version of this episode where I'll put up those pictures of the experience with trouble. And if there's ever any pictures that I can attach to experiences in the podcast, I'll try throwing those more in the video versions. Things are going to continually evolve here, and I'm excited for it. If you like what you hear, you can also check out my other podcast, This Week in Nickelodeon History, dropping on most conceivable podcasting platforms every Sunday. And check that out. Check out the YouTube channel. Any of your time is much appreciated to me. If you would like to go the extra mile, you can check out my shop link at the Redbubble link in the podcast description below. Anything that you purchase there, stickers, t-shirts, duvet covers, anything that comes in from my projects, go directly back into my projects 
and trust me, it's more than appreciated. My heart goes out to you guys. I'm a humble captain. And as always, mateys, be safe, be kind to one another, and come aboard again next week to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. Ahoy, Captain, what have we here? You're my best friend Too cool to forget Come back Cause we are family And forgive me For making you wanna roam And now my heart is beating Like the saddest metronome I hope you can read I hope you can see My latest three-word poem Garrett, come home